Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio. Suri has a new EP called Rye that was released in May. Suri is quite open about the challenges of producing her EP during lockdown and generally as a performer too at this time and also takes a look back at her own performance in Eurovision Song Contest in 2018 in Lisbon during which she was disrupted by a stage invader. Susie Thorpe and I caught up with Suri. Welcome, Suri. Your new EP, Rye, is out. Great, great news. That's right. Yes, it's out. I'm so happy to be sharing this new music now. It's been a little while in the making, but uh, here it is. Yeah, I I listened to it, actually. You you sent me some details, but I did listen to it and I thought it was fantastic. It's captured your beautiful voice, Siri. It really has. What's it like producing an EP during this lockdown? What's it been like to do that? It's both tricky and a privilege because I have a creative distraction to focus on. Yeah. So I'm certainly not complaining about that. It does allow me to escape some of the other noise and nonsense we're all trying to juggle at the moment. Um, and then, of course, there are the limitations that come with having to just work from home and exist from home, as we all are doing. Um, you know, I can't go to the studios that I would normally go to having to collaborate with people just virtually. It's the same struggles that we're all facing. So again, you know, I'm certainly not complaining. It's just been a fascinating one. I didn't want to hold it back though. I didn't want to delay the release or postpone it or cancel it or anything like that. You know, we had this schedule set from the end of last year and I wanted to try and meet the deadlines as as much as possible to give me a focus and to to get the music out there as best as I could. Yeah, well, well done to you for doing that. So doing this, as you say, producing this EP, it's had some challenges, as you've just quite rightly said. But the most important thing is that the actual right itself, what, what's behind this? What's behind the story? I sometimes, I'm sometimes torn as to whether I should give too much away about the inspiration behind the song or what the song meant to me, because I do want it to be yours once you have it and my story may not necessarily be the story that you want to take from it and I want it to have that sort of relatable or open to interpretation feeling but with these songs I I think they are quite clear lyrically and some of them have stayed with me for a little while some of them are really very fresh and very brand new one I finished easy I finished just before I had to put down the very very final vocal um, only a few weeks ago so it's been from a songwriting point of view um, a lovely cathartic process and yeah I hope people can take from it whatever they want to really whether it's an insight into my wiggly brain or (laughs) feeling. Suri do you ever get to the point when you're songwriting that it becomes almost too personal and you think, OK, I just can't write that down. It's just too too hurtful or, or, or revealing too much about myself. That's a great question. I think, yes, I have got to that place in the past. I think that I'm quite an open book. I'm very comfortable and confident actually sharing quite a bit about myself. But what I'm careful 
or I try to be careful about is writing about people that are close to me because it's not necessarily their wish to then have those moments or feelings or experiences shared. So I'm try, I try to be conscientious of the people around me um, who may very much understand the, the story that's going out there. But when it comes to me, I'm, I'm quite happy to lay it out on the table, really. And I think sometimes uh, I get the odd message from family or friends saying, <laughs> oh, gosh, are you OK? And, you know, this song, certain song was written maybe three years ago. And, oh, I'm absolutely <laughs> fine. particular <laughs> night, I was having a wobble. But, you know, it's funny how it then lands, of course, for people differently. But it's, it's a cathartic thing laying it out. It's that sort of musical... Therapy. And is there any particular song, Suri, on the EP that really, really stands out for you that you just think, yeah, that really just sums up my life at the moment? Um, I think, well, the lyrics in lines are certainly a conversation that I have with myself at the moment. But the title track of Rye, from a sound point of view, even though the story is a little bit more abstract and a little bit more um, removed from me personally, the sound of it um, still sort of engulfs me and envelopes me in a bit of a calming, comfort, musical hug. And at the moment, day to day, in this um, in this lockdown, that's what I need. I need music that's just going to soothe me, give me a moment to chill and have a breath. And yeah, the title track, Rye, does that for me. Mm. Um, you've been no. I mean, this is. I love reading about you, Yusuri, because you you are the darling of Eurovision. You are just the darling of the public, and ever mm-hmm. since Eurovision twenty eighteen, well, actually, I think it's been before then. It has been before then, but the Eurovision has has taken on another new meaning. I think because people that have performed there in the Eurovision have, they haven't won, then they always deem them to be, well, that's it, that's the end of their career. But you've just gone from strength to strength. And why do you think that is? I mean, obviously, you are the darling of Eurovision, you're the darling singer. But why do you think, I mean, how much strength did you catch from the Eurovision Song Contest after that? Oh, thank you. I mean, it still surprises me. I'll be honest, I thought that Eurovision, especially as the lead artist in 2018, I thought it might be a fantastic opportunity, a roller coaster ride, and then possibly quite rightly a bubble that would burst after that particular project and gig and job has, has finished. And I'm, I think I'm still as surprised as many that now two years later, that wonderful community and audience is still so loyal and supportive and kind to me. And not only have they embraced me as a person, but they also were starting to appreciate that the artist I am and the musician I am, as a predominantly a piano-based singer-songwriter, is slightly different to the artist they were introduced to on that Eurovision stage. That's interesting. Uh, quite dressed up with, you know, big lights, big beats, drums, quite a poppy sound. But then they've started coming to some of my shows that are stripped down to the piano with maybe a string ensemble. It's all about the lyrics and the, the melody and the songwriting. And I've introduced them to other artists like Tori Amos and Emiliana Torini that I love. And it's been such a bonus that they are staying with me throughout all of that. And I never expected that to happen. So I'm, I'm forever 
grateful. That's interesting because it, it is more about just the one song, really. Eurovision is all about one song for each artist. And that's all you hear of that artist. It's not like any of these other television uh, programmes where maybe people come on and do different numbers. It's all about that one song and that's all you hear over and over again. So it is interesting that when you follow somebody after that, it is going to be different. Absolutely. And as the years go on, that musician is going to want to try different things as well. And some things may work, they may not. But it's it's such an honour when that audience just gives you a bit of time and gives you a chance and just has a listen. That's all you could ever ask for is that they'll just listen. And if they don't like it, of course, that's fine. We can all have our different opinions and tastes. But it's um, a three-minute snapshot on that Eurovision Song Contest stage that is also dressed up by an entire team. And the actual lead artist does not always have so much creative control. I can imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's you feel sometimes quite small, but you know, I think at the end of that you came out quite big, really. I think you came out a star. And and you don't have to answer this, Siri. I've always wanted to ask, and you don't have to ask this, but what was the reason why after that stage invader came out, which I have to say, you managed that amazingly. Absolutely. Are you incredibly your presence on the stage was felt by everybody. You were just so on it. It, it made sense tingles down my spine now thinking about mm. it. But I want to know why you decided not to go back on that stage and re-perform. Mm, no, of course, it's a fair question. And I think that in that moment, what happened, which was, of course, so unexpected, no one can really prepare for that. But the the presence that you kindly notice and comment on and the electricity that then was just charged by an entire arena of 20,000 plus people who got behind me the last part of that song was so spontaneous so unique Mm. so bonkers and so charged (laughs) that I never could have repeated that energy even if I had gone again and done a smooth run of three minutes there was no way that adrenaline and that unique moment could have been at all replicated. And it was such a spontaneous goosebump, crazy moment for us all. We as a team just decided to leave it at that. We couldn't try and do it again. Yeah, I, I, you know, thank you for that because I can really understand that, and that was it was a question that was has been on my mind for a very long time, and you've mm. just explained that very well, and I completely understand. And well done for being so honest about that. Oh, but you felt quite quite unwell after it, I believe. Did did you suffer from some kind of trauma afterwards? Yeah, it was a very um, it really was a whirlwind in the sense that of course something kicks in on stage. And I don't know if it's a certain element of performer's instinct of the show must go on or or whether you can really ever train for something like that. I don't know. But mm. the calm and composure that I try to sort of emulate on, on, on stage, of course, when you come off stage, the the reality kind of hits. Um, and also I went into days of then... Um, police statements and security reports and media circus and it was all very very invasive and serious whereas obviously the end of the Eurovision Song Contest journey should be a really fun celebratory one so when I I came back to the UK and 
the media circus, although the response was very positive towards me, everyone wanted a bit of me and I did find it quite interesting, the insight into the UK media. Um, there were people outside my house, there were people trying to get me through friends and family. It was all a bit nasty. And so the BBC team did very kindly set me up with a, a fantastic doctor on Harley Street who specialises in um, uh, in in media uh, and psychology and this kind of thing. And I just had two wonderful sessions with him, talking through everything I was feeling, very confused about what I was experiencing. And he just explained that I was experiencing, um, you know, symptoms of, of what would be PTSD. And just by talking it through, it, it massively helped. And I was, of course, incredibly lucky to get that help so early on, thanks to the, to the BBC team. Um, and like with all things, it, it starts to settle after a while and things calm down and I'm all right. I'm fine. Oh, it's, it's, it's really interesting that they took that step, though. That's very good. It's nice to hear that the BBC did that for you. They did. I mean, they're a wonderful team. They had no duty of care um, past midnight on that Saturday night, really. That's when my contract ends. But this was such an unusual moment for all of us, for the producers, for my press journalist, um, my, my head of press. My every, Everyone looked after me so much. I mean... I mentioned my, my head of press because I, I'll never, ever forget the flight home from Lisbon. None of us had slept for about 72 hours. And we flew home and we were on a flight packed full of fans. We're all wonderful and, and supportive, but again, they all wanted a bit of me. And by mm -hmm. this point, uh, it was becoming a little bit too much. And mm. my head of press um, looked after me so I will never, ever forget how she just to get me off that plane and get me back through the airport and into a car and back home. She had her arm wrapped around me tightly and she held me for about 45 minutes whilst we went through passports. We went through just trying to get through people because um, obviously you don't have security at that point. They had to leave us at Lisbon Airport. So, you know, people really went above and beyond in that BBC team. And I think of them as friends now and I will never ever forget how they looked after me. Well that that's wonderful to hear because as you know we were there in Portugal when the Eurovision 2018 and we 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 had that same thought we thought how are you going to be able to get out without having all the hassle and you so it's so nice to hear that that, that you were looked after I know you were but I, it's nice to hear it from you that that did happen because you don't realize after any performance even if that didn't happen sometimes you need some space because it's so exhausting doing that thing isn't it as much as it is wonderful to yeah. do Oh, wonderful, but it is, you know, the post-show blues are a big thing if everything goes well. So this was a real crash. This was a a real roller coaster. Um, but, you know, I, I'm so grateful for it in, in ways. Um, I'm, I'm not glad that the stage invasion happened. I wouldn't wish that upon anyone, but... I was looked after. It was a lot, but you know, I'm I'm fine. Yeah. So that going back then to what's going on now in your life, you've got this wonderful EP, and you've been talking about lockdown and how it's it's really changed everyone's lives. Do you yeah. find other singer songwriters that I know you obviously have are friends with? Do you find they tackle it in the same way as you with lockdown? Do they try and do streaming at home? Have you have you been doing that, Siri? <laughs> yeah, we've we've been discussing it actually. I think we've all been trying to just 
stay sane by discussing it with each other and staying connected. It's a funny one. We we do feel that there's been a real saturation of everyone, of course, going online because it's our only connection at the moment. Um, so there's a positive that to that. There's also a tricky sense that, you know, some others share the same feeling as me that we are live performers. We live for that live performance. So doing these live streams and these virtual concerts where you're just singing to yourself, there's no <laughs> feedback. It's so weird. It's so flat. And it's actually a little demoralizing. So I'm going to try not to do too many of them because I'm not sure it's so productive. Also, we are giving away a lot of our content and our art. You know, our our income has been wiped out for the rest of the year from a performance point of view and goodness knows when that will pick up again you know from an industry point of view it is a real worry because we can't just snap back you know after some uh time of, of lockdown venues cannot just pick up again some won't recover from this at all but also as punters when are we going to be able to relax and sort of cram into venue shoulder to shoulder or sit next to each other with hundreds and thousands of people again it's it's gonna be a while so mm-hmm. whilst we stay inside and, and and adapt and of course do the responsible thing to keep everyone healthy um as artists i think we need to be careful we don't just give away ourselves for nothing because we start to devalue ourselves and it's a it's a funny one i don't think i've ever been asked for so much content um from other corporations and other companies um, for free mm. before and mm-hmm. it starts to well you just start to worry firstly how you're going to earn an income but also what your what your worth is anymore um so I think this is very very unusual time for, for singer-songwriters and I know some as well who just go I'm not feeling creative right now I actually feel quite flat quite uninspired all I'm going to try and focus on at the moment is taking it day by day checking in with my nan and making sure that occasionally I shower and I totally support that as well (laughs) different for everyone isn't it and some of these uh, performances that you've seen in lockdown and I've seen quite a few of them from you know the hugely famous to the to, to, to local people some of them can be quite awkward um and I do tend to find myself I do tend to find myself looking um, looking at their house rather than looking at them in one <laughs> Oh, Linda, it's so true. I mean, the bookshelves that I end up reading, yes. new segments, you know, talking heads. And, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm going to do one more for now, sort of virtual concert, just to mark the release of Rye. But I'm so fed up of my same four walls, as, as everyone is, that I just thought it would, I'd try and, you know, keep it lighthearted. But I, I bought a green screen um, <laughs> to try and just inject a bit of fun and a different background just for my own sake, because I'm so fed up of seeing the same walls. But we'll see how, how well that goes. And Siri, you talk about we here. You've got a fantastic team with you, haven't you? So Oh, I do. And, and that's really, really important, is it? Because you might, you know, you can be a single artist, but that's not necessarily the case, is it, all the time? Because you have an amazing backup. They are wonderful. It's a, it's a small team. You know, I've been an independent artist most of my um, professional life, but I'm so fortunate to, especially over the past four Four years, I think, to have worked 
very closely um, with Björn Dobbelara, who is a Belgian uh, conductor, arranger, producer, and runs the indie label that I release under. And we've creatively collaborated for, uh, yes, about four years now. Something beginning with was the sort of debut album, um, 2016. And Jamie is one of my best mates. Mm, brilliant. Has supported me, uh, been by my side for about 20 years, but has also, um, she organised the Unplugged tour that I did after Eurovision. She has travelled the world with me through this. And so, you know, we're a, a, a little trio, a little three musketeers, um, but it is incredible help so regularly and so appreciated. Um, you know, Björn is the, is the brains behind this outfit for sure. None of this stuff would creatively <laughs> work as brilliantly without his incredible brain and ears and attention to detail. He produced Rye, the EP, and, um, and we actually co-wrote a few of the tracks as well. Um, and we haven't really written before, but that's been a really lovely new thing for us to, to do. So it's, um, it's a lot of fun. And I owe both of them for different reasons, a huge, huge debt of thanks. We've always thought that you were, I, I always remember when you were doing a school performance and Simon and I were there because Steffi was there obviously at the same school and we came out and yeah. we watched you. And I can't remember which play it was now, you'll have to remind me, but we came out and we had we had shivers down our spine because your voice was incredible then and we knew that you were going to go somewhere and so it is lovely to be able to talk to you now but the one of the things that I really want to say is your outfits who chooses your amazing outfits oh thank you well I have worked with stylists before um I'm I'm not working with a stylist at the moment but I think I've been so fortunate to work with such brilliant ones in the past that then They've taught me a lot and I try and carry that forward now whilst I sort of style myself. So the Eurovision outfit was designed, created, uh, envisaged everything by Frank Strachan. And he's a wonderful, wonderful stylist. Um, he works very closely with Kylie Minogue, lots of other wonderful artists. So he designed that, you know, for me. Mm. And he put together the outfit for lots of the promo pre and, and post Eurovision as well. And we sort of really set up this image that I'm very comfortable with, which does predominantly have sort of high-waisted, wide-leg trousers. Of course, I am at the piano a lot as well. So you have to think of the practicalities with wearing skirts and dresses, which isn't so practical a lot of the time. So, yeah, we've set up this kind of Surrey look, which I I find very comfortable. And thank you for using <laughs> it. <laughs> Do you do you look after your own social media? I'm actually looking at your Instagram pages <laughs> at the moment. Do you look after your own social media, Siri? I do. I have had help in the past sometimes, um, especially with um, DMs when they get a little bit much, and I have um, people reading them as well and sharing them and picking up the the business requests and then you know sifting through. But no, mm -hmm. predominantly um, it's all it's all me. And I, I do enjoy it. I have a lot of fun with it, I have to say. The, the song itself, Storm Can't Last Forever, I mean, in many ways, it's a legacy for all of us, isn't it, that song? Did you, did you find that that sort of helped you getting through it or were you absolutely, you didn't want, you wanted to put that one to bed when you'd finished the Eurovision? But for me, that song was really, really quite, quite a poignant moment, even now, Siri. Oh, absolutely. 
No, I I will always be grateful for that song and it never becomes a chore to perform it um, at any opportunity. I see how it resonates with people, how it's become such a positive mantra or anthem, you know, motto for them. And especially now, yes, it's had a new lease of life. I mean, we are at the time of year of the Eurovision Song Contest, but even so with as this pandemic really grew and, and affected everyone's lives so much, it was interesting how people were turning back to Storm, listening to it, repeating it, singing it, performing it, sending me videos of them doing it. Um, it's It lives on and what what a privilege to be connected to that. It's It's wonderful. Do you find people ask you, what's it like to be a singer songwriter? What sort of views or what advice would you give people now and before the lockdown, obviously, on on the challenges of being a singer-songwriter? People do ask. I think, I mean, some people have very kindly reached out recently in just the past couple of months and said, how can we help? You know, how can we support artists who are suddenly very, very unemployed for at least the next calendar year, potentially next as well? And that's something that then, you you know, you try and work out really i've set up a kofi page which is it's like a tip jar it's they call it kofi because they say kofi no fee um and it's somewhere that you can kind of offer some support to artists by just making a little contribution to the same amount really of buying them a cuppa and buying them a drink and sometimes at gigs people say oh i'd love to buy you a drink and i say oh you know i'm, I'm being very well behaved i'm on water thank you but <laughs> This time, people can actually go somewhere and just just chuck a little bit of coinage in a tip jar. If that's for a virtual concert you've done or a video that you've spent a week putting together to, you know, I did a new version of Storm for the fans that was a really, really fun arrangement. It took me a good two weeks because I'm, I'm not the most tech savvy, but it's fun. Of course it's fun. But if people are able to then sort of support that as well, that's wonderful. So the Kofi page is... Um, ko-fi.com slash Surrey and, and people have been asking about that. That's just, a great idea. It, it is. Well, there, are, there are some wonderful things like that out there. So I've been sharing these amongst colleagues and friends and then with the fans who've been asking and otherwise we just check in with each other, try and share a bit of positivity and all keep surviving like the best of us, you know, like the rest of us, just keep our heads above water. And And... For the future, we're all looking at the future and we're thinking, how are we yeah. going to social distance and perform? There are people doing it and I, I know it will get better. But the future at the moment is getting your EP out, which you have. And but are there before the lockdown, were there any other plans that you were planning to make? I've been I've been going back and forth from America over the past almost year working on something, writing a book. And I was collecting research for that. And I'm definitely going to get back into that um, at the summer. What was just about to be announced just before lockdown hit and cancelled everything. Yeah. So I was actually going to get back on stage. Um, I've always loved theatre so, so much. And I had just been cast in a project that I was so looking forward to um, be a part of and perform in. And we were about to workshop and it all got pulled, of course, as everything did. So 
that little moment was, you know, a flash in the pan that never was. I'm so hoping that project gets picked up again at some point because I would love to get back on stage. So we'll just have to see what happens. Well, fingers crossed. I hope that'll be the case. Mm, indeed. And family-wise, how is it? How difficult has it been to to keep in touch with? I mean, like all of us, you must miss your family because you're very close yeah. to your family, aren't you? I am. I am. They're a wonderful bunch. And we have been doing the weekly Zoom conferences, you know, like everyone, (laughs) which have been great fun. And to actually all come together and talk like that um, every week is is not something we were doing before lockdown. So I hope that continues. I try and check in with my parents as much as possible. Um, I, I do check in with my younger brother, who's also a musician, Ben Benedict, because we are very alike and we do understand what we're going through at the moment creatively. We both get so much inspiration from traveling from it doesn't have to be abroad or big adventures but just a change of scenery and conversations with people and being inspired by different moments and experiences and like all of us everything's a little mundane and monotonous at the moment (laughs) so we've been sharing that struggle but hey again you know I'm not complaining we're all in this same boat and it's 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 mad but no I love my family I can't wait to see them Hopefully sometime soon. And do you dress up at home? I just want to know, because of this lockdown, do you find then that, you know, you can't put those lavish, beautiful, stunning outfits? Do you sort of sneak a good outfit on sometimes and think, oh, I'm going to do it, it's lockdown? Oh, Susie, I've been wearing the same <laughs> pair of socks for about three weeks. I'm going to need to wash. <laughs> oh, that's it. OK, you've got me now, the honesty. I won't tell you mine. I think it's worse than that. But... <laughs> I'll put on some sequins tomorrow just for you. Yeah, thank you. That would be, I would love that very much. It would inspire me. I've even bought a, a, a dress for the gardening. I mean, that's how sad it is. Oh, I love it. Dress no, for the gardening? Yes. We've got to keep ourselves going. Absolutely. I'm going to dress up. If that's the only way I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. But I love it. Uh, Siri, thank you so much indeed. And good pleasure. luck with the EP. Thank you so much. It's been such a lovely chat with you both. Honestly, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> oh, well, we loved it, <laughs> Linda and I. Thank yes, you. Yes, have. Women Making Waves on Cambridge 105 Radio.